This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. Today, our guest is Kurt Bodenhausen. He's a senior editor at Forbes who recently published an article about the highest paid athletes of all time. We're going to dig deeper into the story right now. Kurt, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Mike. So tell me, what is the list of highest earning athletes of all time? Well, Forbes has tracked the earnings of athletes since 1990. Every year we put out a list on the highest paid athletes for that year. We decided, let's do a roundup. Let's look back over those, what are we, 35 years now of looking at this? You know, as fans, we give these guys such a hard time. Oh, they make millions. They make millions. But you, you look at the NFL, the average career is less than four years, uh, six years in Major League Baseball. So these guys have a very narrow window. So we decided, who are those guys that we've been watching on TV for 20 years, 30 years, you know, going back in some cases 50 years with a couple of these guys? Who's made the most bank over that time? So this is a cumulative ranking of lifetime earnings. And, of course, Forbes is all about wealth, how it's earned and how it's spent, and what lessons we can get from how money is made. What is it that you include in earnings? We really include just about everything for these guys. So you're talking about prize money, salary, bonuses, endorsements. Uh, We look at uh, licensing income for some of these guys. Some of these guys cut some incredible licensing deals. Uh, money they've received from books, golfers, a lot of golfers on this list. Guys can make a mint uh, from golf course design fees. The one big thing that we exclude, and it's a really tough thing to track, we're not looking at uh, the tax filings for these guys. We don't include investment income, but pretty much everything that revolves around their celebrity that they make money from, those are the things that we include Uh, with this list. So this is basically their total pre-tax income, excluding investment income. Absolutely. We don't deduct for taxes. We don't deduct for agent fees, which can can get real pricey. You know, again, we talk about athletes making so much money, but these guys are paying, you know, in the top tax bracket. A lot of times, 50% of their income is getting whacked for taxes. Uh, Then their agent might be collecting 15% 15% of their endorsement income, then they got to pay this person, this person. So that $10 million a year salary dwindles down very quickly. How do you go about gathering all this information? Well, we've built up a lot of sources over the years. Uh, you know, we talk to agents, we talk to experts in the field. A lot of the salary data is out there for public consumption. And so we had a lot of this info uh, that we've tracked back to 1990. And for some of those guys, you know, most of these guys have started playing since 1990 where we've seen this explosion in money into sports. Salaries have gone through the roof. Uh, You go back to Nolan Ryan uh, getting the first million-dollar-a-year contract. This year, Major League Baseball, you had 36 guys making $20 million a year. So, so, so much of the money uh, has taken place over the last 20 years. But what we did was we backfilled uh, with the, our best estimates possible uh, it, for those years that we didn't have specifics for those individual athletes. The part of this that really fascinates me, though, is, is the off-the-field earnings, you know, what they get for their endorsements, uh, what they get for uh, – you know, perhaps uh, having their own equity stakes in, in, in sneaker lines and things like that. 
I wonder, what, do you, what type of feedback do you get from agents? Is there any sort of envy involved here where, you know, in some of your lists, an athlete will say, oh, a certain basketball player uh, that's represented by a different agent is making X, and they, they know that their uh, basketball player that they represent is making more. Is, is that sort of what happens behind the scenes here? We get a little bit of that. You know, I've got a few phone calls over the years where an agent has talked to me and said, I told you my guy was making this. And how could you publish this number? Often lower. Um, and that's because I might talk to half a dozen other people who say, there's no way that person's making that much money. I mean, these guys, aren't, these guys aren't silly. You know, a lot of cases they're talking about what the client could potentially make. So a tennis, you take tennis, best, best example out there. Because a player signs one deal, might be worth a million dollars guaranteed. But if they're the number one player in the world that year, they win four Grand Slam tournaments, they can win six or seven million dollars a year. So when you start talking to people, is that a one million dollar a year deal or six million dollars a year? You know, so there's a lot of, uh, particularly tennis, golf, you see a lot of incentives. Also in the basketball deals, we've seen it huge shoe deals. Uh, LeBron's contract out of a ton of attention could be worth a billion dollars. James Harden signs a $200 million contract. Kevin Durant signs a $300 million contract. A lot of these deals, you have to look at the specifics. There's a guarantee, and then they get paid a royalty fee based on how well their signature shoes sell. So could LeBron make a billion dollars? It's possible if his shoes continue to sell. They were down this past year. But if they continue to sell uh, in the later half of his career and then into retirement, it could be a billion-dollar deal for the king. And, and what you do with your number crunching is to the best of your ability. You're not looking at what they potentially could do as far as this list is concerned. You're looking at what you know they've made. Yeah, exactly. We do, we do our best. Again, these are estimates. We're not looking at tax filings. Uh, but we do our best to uh, look at what they made over the previous 12 months in our annual uh, lists of looking at the highest paid athletes. Now, Kurt, a lot of these athletes on your list, you've been tracking for decades how much money they've made. Did you account for inflation? Uh, we, we did account for inflation. We thought that was the fairest way to look at it. Uh, Arnold Palmer is probably the best example. Uh, this guy's been making money uh, until he died in September. He'd been earning money in the public atmosphere for six decades. Uh, so, so by our count, Arnold earned $875 million during that time. If you adjust for inflation, though, uh, it goes up to $1.35 billion. He was the most extreme example because his earnings stretched back into the 1950s. All right, let's take a look at the list here. Number one, Michael Jordan, earnings $1.7 billion. Give me a breakdown of where that money has come from. Nike. (laughs) Uh, I mean, think about this. Jordan earned $93 million playing for the Washington Bulls and the Wash, uh, excuse me, for the Chicago Bulls and the Washington Wizards. He has earned, he earned last year $100 million alone from Nike. He hasn't played basketball in 13 years, and he's making more than $100 million a year just from Nike. More than, Nike, excuse me, the Jordan brand had more than 50% market share in basketball shoes, which is incredible. Their revenues were up 18% for the Jordan brand in the most recent fiscal year to $2.8 billion. This is a time when LeBron shoe sales are down, Durant shoe sales are down. Jordan, 
keeps going up, up, and up. So continues to have a couple other deals, has relationships with Gatorade now, Haynes. You know, back in the day, though, I mean, he revolutionized sports marketing along with his agent, David Falk, 1980s uh, through the 1990s. This, he had, Jordan had deals with everybody, uh, with, with MCI. You saw him in Space Jam, worked with Coca-Cola. Uh, you know, he spread himself. Uh, he did an incredible job, walked a very fine line, didn't get too controversial with anything. This is the pre-social media days. Uh, and so he built this incredible brand. And it resonates today, even though a lot of these people have never seen him play. Repucom does this celebrity index where they track 4,000 celebrities in terms of awareness and what the public thinks in terms of attributes. Last year, Michael Jordan was number one ahead of Oprah and Tom Hanks and every other celebrity you can name. Michael Jordan is still number one amongst Americans, which is an incredible feat because he hasn't played again. You got to go back to 1998 was his last year with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so again, Nike is, is the big uh, ticket item here for Jordan. And he's the perfect example of a guy who has continued to make millions, in this case, hundreds of millions after his playing career because of this incredible brand that he built up and the incredible success that he had on the court while he was winning six championships. Do you think the fact that he's the owner of the Charlotte Hornets in the NBA helps his basketball shoe sales? Uh, I, I think a little bit. I think it helps his credibility. You know, it helps him stay very much a part of the game. Uh, he, he's worked out a few uh, deals where the Jordan brand has a shop set up uh, in the Charlotte Hornets arena. Uh, it, it certainly keeps him front and center um, in terms of front of mind, in terms of the public, as well as uh, the NBA players right now. And it's always an interesting situation. You know, Jordan has a lot of the Charlotte Hornets have shoe deals with the Jordan brand, as you might expect. So, what kind, you know, there's a strict salary cap, but maybe I can get you a shoe deal with uh, the Jordan brand if you come play for me. You know, going down, numbers two through four, golfers, right? Tiger Woods, $1.65 billion in total earnings. The late Arnold Palmer, $1.35 billion followed by Jack Nicholas, $1.15 billion. I look at these three very different types of personalities. Tell me first about Tiger. How is he landed at number two, despite the fact that, you know, the last year or two he's suffered injuries, he hasn't been himself on the golf course? Yeah, Tiger's uh, off-the-course earnings are off more than 50%. But back in his heyday, Tiger was making $100 million from endorsements and appearance fees. Uh, he turned pro uh, about 20 years ago. And again, prize money of that $1.65 billion is only about 10%. 90% is from corporate partners. We go back to Nike again, has by far been his biggest sponsor. Still pays him more than $20 million a year, despite the setbacks he's had. Was sidelined for 15 months until he came back and played in his own tournament in December. Uh, and so for Tiger, it comes down really to the endorsements. Uh, before he had that unfortunate incident uh, over Thanksgiving, uh, where we had the resulting sex scandal that came out, and the New York Post loved it, Every you know, put him on the cover for... 15 straight days or something. Uh, he was the golden child. Everybody wanted to be partnering 
with Tiger Woods. He had Accenture, AT&T, he had his own line of Gatorade, Buick. Uh, the guy was incredible. Every tournament, overseas tournament he showed up cost $3 million in appearance fee to get him to show up at your tournament. Um, and so he's banked a lot of money, still made $45 million by our count over the last 12 months. You go down now to Armel Palmer and Jack Nicholas. They were rivals, of course, for a while. Um, Arnold Palmer seemed to really resonate. He seemed to be the guys I remember when I was a kid who really started to sort of be the first celebrity of golf. You got it right there. He was really, and you got to credit Mark McCormick, uh, founder of IMG, took Palmer to a whole nother level, got him to connect with fans and use brands to do that. You know, he was McCormick and Palmer, uh, who built IMG into this incredible uh, sports agency. Um, Palmer was, was the first guy to recognize that he had value, that he could command uh, you know, he could set the terms of what he'd be doing and what he could command. Appearance fees went through the roof for golfers once Palmer sat up and said, with McCormick's backing, and said, no, I deserve this. Uh, and, and the same thing for, for endorsement deals, what golfers uh, could get. And so McCormack did a great job in terms of uh, showcasing Palmer uh, with specific events and then with brands. And he built this inc- incredible way to connect with fans, and he built this legacy that has allowed him, you know, in- until the day he died. He was making $40 million a year. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't out a- won a golf tournament since 1973. Uh, but he built this big business in Asia. There's 500 Arnold Palmer branded stores in Asia selling mostly apparel. Uh, we have Arizona uh, Beverage Company produce uh, iced tea. It's 25% of their business, selling 20, $200 million a year in revenue. Uh, so it, it's incredible what he's done. Uh, and it is in contrast with Nicholas, who's third at uh, 1.15. Jack's uh, heart and soul and the bulk of his business has been built on his golf course design uh, company. Palmer designed uh, some courses, but Jack has taken it to a whole nother level. He's designed, his company's designed more than 400 courses. He's been personally uh, involved in the development of about 300 courses. We've got 57 under development currently right now. Uh, the, the golf course design business has really dried up in the U.S., but in Asia, it's still booming. Uh, and what that you know to have Jack Nicholas's name on your golf course is a home run. It allows you to sell real estate, um, and it, the golf is such a wealthy demographic. Uh, so that's why so many companies want to get involved with these guys. And the last thing with golfers, they're in this public spotlight for twenty years, thirty years, forty years. Long careers. Long careers. You go on. You play the PGA Tour, and then you go on to the Senior Tour, and then you can have an honorary role where you're still out in the public, uh, and companies want to be involved with you. So Palmer's earnings cover sixty something years. Um, you know, Tiger, still a young guy, has only been at it for twenty years. He could be still making significant amount of money over the next twenty years in some sort of role uh, in the golf space. 
Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! You go down now to Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas. They were rivals, of course, for a while. Um, Arnold Palmer seemed to really resonate. He seemed to be the guys I remember when I was a kid who really started to sort of be the first celebrity of golf. You got it right there. He was really, and you got to credit Mark McCormick, uh, founder of IMG, took Palmer to a whole nother level, got him to connect with fans and use brands to do that. You know, he was the, McCormick and Palmer, uh, who built IMG into this incredible uh, sports agency. Um, Palmer was, was the first guy to recognize that he had value, that he could command, uh, you know, he could set the terms of what he'd be doing and what he could command. Appearance fees went through the roof for golfers once Palmer sat up and said, with McCormick's backing and said, no, I deserve this. Uh, and, and the same thing for, for endorsement deals, what golfers uh, could get. And so McCormack did a great job in terms of uh, showcasing Palmer uh, with specific events and then with brands. And he built this inc- incredible way to connect with fans, and he built this legacy that has allowed him, you know, in, until the day he died, he was making $40 million a year I mean, this is a guy who wasn't out a, won a golf tournament since 1973. Uh, but he built this big business in Asia. There's 500 Arnold Palmer branded stores in Asia selling mostly apparel. Uh, the, we have Arizona uh, Beverage Company produce uh, the iced tea. It's 25% of their business selling 20, $200 million a year in revenue. Uh, so it, it's incredible what he's done. Uh, and it is in contrast with Nicholas, who's third at uh, 1.15. Jack's uh, heart and soul and, and the bulk of his business has been built on his golf course design uh, company. Palmer designed uh, some courses, but Jack has taken it to a whole nother level. He's designed, his company's designed more than 400 courses. He's been personally uh, involved in the development of about 300 courses. We've got 57 under development currently right now. Uh, the, the golf course design business has really dried up in the U.S., but in Asia, it's still booming. Uh, and what be- you know, to have Jack Nicholas's name on your golf course is a home run. It allows you to sell real estate, um, and it, the golf is such a wealthy demographic. Uh, so that's why so many companies want to get involved with these guys. And the last thing with golfers, they're in this public spotlight for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Long careers. Long careers. You go on, you play the PGA Tour and then you go on to the Senior Tour and then you can have an honorary role where you're still out in the public uh, and companies want to be involved with you. So Palmer's earnings cover 60-something years. Um, you know, Tiger... Still a young guy. He's only been at it for 20 years. He could be still making significant amount of money over the next 20 years in some sort of role uh, in the golf space. 
As I look down further on your list of the 20 highest-earning athletes of all time, uh, you fill out number five is Formula One race driver Michael Schumacher. Then you have another basketball player, Kobe Bryant. The impression I get when I look at this, too, is that they're in sports, these top six guys, basketball, auto racing, golf, that are global. Whereas, you know, if you take baseball, for example, or football, that's primarily the United States. That's a, that's a great point. And you only have to go down and look through the whole list. Not a football player on the list, and only one baseball player makes the cut of the top 20. A-Rod. A-Rod. <laughs> the infamous A-Rod. And, and that's exactly it. There's only so much a football player or a baseball player can make off the field. Sure, they can make a ton of money in salary, but the endorsement potential just, it's not there to the extent that it is in basketball and golf, because those are global sports. Nike isn't going to pay a baseball player $15 million a year because there's only so many baseball cleats you can sell. But LeBron James can sell hundreds of millions of basketball shoes, not just in the U.S., but also overseas. Kobe Bryant is one of the biggest superstars in the world, in China. And Nike used that to their benefit. They sent Kobe to China every single year to help build his brand and their brand in China. And when Kobe showed up at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, he was the biggest rock star there. Um, And so your point is spot on, Mike, because really the global potential, and that's why the NBA is so hot right now, because the global potential is there. The The NFL talks about international expansion and generating revenue and playing four games a year in London, but they're somewhat boxed in in terms of how much money they can really produce. Uh, But the NBA is truly a global sport. And then with golf, these guys are traveling all over the world to play. The golf tour is made up of players from all over. Uh, So it's truly an international game. Does does, uh, personality sometimes trump performance in terms of an athlete's earnings? Uh, I'm looking at somebody out here like right now, like Oscar De La Hoya, ranked 19th on your list. Was a great boxer, no doubt, but... Hasn't fought in several years. Yet, you know, the golden boy, you know, he's down at $510 million. He was able to start Golden Boy Promotions, the boxing promotion company. Uh, He just seems to have that personality that people want to be around, that sponsors want to be around. And it's sort of given him a second life after boxing. I mean, this could be even a, a, a career just as big as his boxing career. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I mean, you look down these list of 20 athletes. They're all superstars uh, in their respective sports. Uh, Almost all of them, champions, reach the highest levels of their sport among the all-time greats. But personality definitely plays a part. Oscar De La Hoya, at the time, uh, when he was at his peak, he was the biggest pay-per-view star in the sport. Incredibly charismatic, sold the fights, and, and now has gone on to a very successful Promote, uh, career as a boxing promoter, uh, biggest boxing promotion company out there right now, uh, and continues to bring in new boxers um, and, and highlight them. Uh, and so, you know, I think you look at boxers, look at Floyd Mayweather, personality has definitely played uh, into sales of his pay-per-view events. Uh, and, and Floyd working as promoter also helped goost his own paycheck. 
and so some of the personalities uh, on this list uh, definitely help them create more money. And I think Shaq is probably a good example of that. You've talked to Shaq over the years. He's got this business of fun. Shaq is still making more than $20 million a year uh, since he retired because people want to be in business with Shaq. He's fun. He's likable. He's done some of his endorsement partners have been with him for 15 years. Uh, He's involved in production company, works as an analyst on TNT. Uh, And so personality absolutely plays into the money that these guys make. And when I think of Shaq, I I think I see a similarity uh, with Michael Jordan in that, as you mentioned, Michael Jordan sort of keeps his brand out there as an owner of the Charlotte Hornets. I think Shaq does something similar being an NBA analyst with TNT. So he's still current. He's still relevant. He's giving his thoughts and opinions on basketball. So when he's out there pitching products, people don't just view him as a player who retired a long time ago. Say, oh, you know, I see this guy, you know, all during the NBA season. He's still somebody who I still like, want to watch. So it still resonates his brand to this day. Yeah, he's still relevant. And that's very important, you know, because you have to connect beyond the people that watch you play, particularly as you get out of the league for 10, 15 years. Uh, Barkley's done it, certainly being on TNT. Uh, we're seeing it with Michael Strahan, who's made an incredible transformation. We both grew up as Giant fans watching him on the field. And here this guy's turned into this incredible personality where probably a lot of people don't even realize he played football, you know? (laughs) He's just turned into a television personality for them. Uh, So these athletes, it's a very hard transition once you leave the sport to figure out your next step. What are you going to do next? And a lot of guys struggle with it. And you need to find that path. And the guys on this list, for the most part, have all done that, which has allowed them to stay relevant in today's marketplace and still generate a ton of money. And if you're relevant and you have that winning personality as well, you can use that to create new businesses or go into new businesses. And I'm looking at number nine on your list, David Beckham, who was a very good soccer player, perhaps an exceptional one for a limited number of years, but never the best in the world, never probably in the top 20 in the world. Uh, but now, uh, if you look at his earnings, you're talking uh, about somebody who's earned $730 million, and he wants to leverage that to be an owner of a major league soccer team. He has those rights, and I think if he just gets a stadium in Miami, uh, he could be having a major league expansion soccer team down there. And, and given what's happened with the increased popularity of soccer in this country, this could also help boost his future earnings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that deal's a home run for Beckham. I mean, they're giving him this franchise for pennies on the dollar because they wanted him to be part of MLS when he uh, joined the Galaxy, uh, which helped absolutely uh, raise the profile of Major League Soccer uh, when he did join the team. Uh, so they cut him this great deal. So that would be tremendous uh, for Beckham's financial stake. And he is a guy who, who is certainly, you know, in terms of uh, his sponsorships, probably always exceeded a little bit uh, in terms of his level of play on the field. But he's a guy, too. In retirement, he's made more money than he ever made playing uh, on, the, on the pitch. 
He made $75 million his first year, 2014, as a retired athlete. He cut these two incredible deals, partnered up with Diageo to start this new Scotch whiskey called Hague Club, uh, similar to the thing that Diddy's got going with Ciroc. And then he partnered with this Asian group to produce Beckham-branded apparel all over the world. And he got a huge upfront payment for that as well. And then it's going to share in sales of that going forward. Uh, so David Beckham uh, continues to stay um, front and center in terms of uh, people's minds. And he is as relevant, maybe not as he was at his peak, but um, I, and I think joining uh, the MLS, getting an MLS franchise done in Miami would, would help as well. Yeah, t- take me back for a second on that deal he cut with Major League Soccer when he went to the Galaxy in Los Angeles. Well, th- this was incredible. I mean, when, when he joined the Galaxy, they, they paid him a base salary. Uh, my memory serves me right. It was about 5 or $6 million a year. But then they said, you're going to get a cut of the increase in shirt sales that we sell because we know we're now going to sell hundreds of thousands of more shirts now that you're on the team. They gave him a, a piece of advertising revenue. So people said, wow, he's leaving Europe to go to the United States to play soccer for $5, 6000000 million a year? But no, there was another... Six million on the back end that he was receiving from that, and then he got rights to buy an MS, MLS expansion franchise for something in the in the order of twenty five million dollars. That's crazy, and Which, those teams are worth <laughs> those expansion teams are going for around hundred million dollars right now. I know. So we didn't, you know, and 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 there it was almost an open ended thing. So maybe when when he retired and if he had exercised this right. Three, three years ago, four years ago, you thought, oh, okay, yeah, very good deal. But he still hasn't exercised or he still hasn't gotten the franchise in place, but he still has this great deal uh, that he can secure. Uh, so it's an absolute home run. And he's brought in outside partners who are going to allow him to basically cash in immediately because they're going to pay an elevated, they're going to pay a closer expansion to the existing expansion fees uh, than the great deal that he got. We're not just about counting money here at Forbes and at Sports Money. Uh, we're about lessons and what can be learned. And the quick lesson I'm getting from you and from your list is it really pays to have an equity interest in your deals if possible. In other words, you don't want to just have a deal with a sponsor that says, I'm going to pay you a flat rate of $5 million a year. Much better to have a deal that says, I'll give you perhaps a little bit less of a flat rate, but I'm going to give you a percentage of revenue every year. And so every time uh, I sell a sneaker, every time that I uh, design a golf course and then it's sold, I get a cut. And, you know, that, that, that seems to work it both ways because there's also incentive then for the athlete to maintain an excellent image and to go out there and pr- promote whatever product it is they're trying to sell. Yeah, tr- absolutely spot on. Uh, I, I think the lesson learned, uh, you put a golf club or a basketball in your baby's crib, and, and that uh, maybe could set you on the road to riches here if you look at this list. Uh, I, I think building uh, a legacy is very important. What you do on the court, what you do um, on the field, uh, what you do in the boxing ring. Uh, And you look at the guys at the top, they've all built incredible legacies. And and the idea of building a brand that 
gets tossed around and almost as a meaningless point. But I think around sports, it is huge. These guys have all built brands uh, around winning. And it's something that uh, sponsors want to be a part of. And that equity point that you speak to, Mike, is huge. Michael Jordan, if you look at sales of the Jordan brand for Nike, he gets a cut of every shoe, of every hoodie, of every pair of shorts, of every T-shirt that's sold with the Jordan brand on it. So Nike's Jordan brand revenues. Jordan wa- Nike wants to take the Jordan brand to $4.5 billion in revenue. You know who also wants to see it $4.5 billion in revenue? Michael Jordan. Because <laughs> his paycheck then can go from $100 million to $200 million. So we look at all the athletes on those lists. The guys who are in the best potential to continue to keep making the most money is Michael Jordan. <laughs> well, well, if we look at this list and think uh, that you're going to do this list again, let's say, in five years down the road, are there any athletes not on this list that come to mind that you think might be on it five, six, seven years from now? Yeah, you look at the guys who just missed the list, Peyton Manning, Derek Jeter, Kevin Garnett, Evander Holyfield. Their biggest earning days are behind them. You never Jeter, uh, Manning ha- will have a lot of opportunities to make money. We'll see how, exactly how that sorts out. We're seeing a little bit with Jeter already with what he's doing. Uh, but, but the guys that jumped out with me, a couple names that I think you'll see shoot up on this list. One, Lewis Hamilton, only 31 years old, biggest star in Formula One right now. Uh, he's made about $300 million since he turned pro. But his, but his future earnings uh, trajectory is massive. Uh, you know, he, he's a multi-time world champion in F1. Uh, he's already has a huge contract with Mercedes, uh, and with Nico Rosberg retiring, that that only puts more pressure on Mercedes to retain Hamilton as a driver, and so he can absolutely name his price with his next contract. Uh, and then he's also secured some marketing rights that he hadn't previously had under F1, and he's a very marketable star. Uh, but but another guy I think you got to look at is Kevin Durant, only 28 years old. He's got a $300 million contract with Nike, just moved to Golden State. Uh, he's going to probably be making at least $65 million a year for the next 10 years and potentially more. We'll see where salaries go in the NBA. Uh, but he's going to be one of the highest paid guys in the NBA for it, at a bare minimum for the next five years at only 28 years old. Uh, right now, he's made... Uh, about $250 million so far in his career, uh, and really the sky's the limit with him. And then the last guy I'll point out is Neymar. He's only 24 years old, uh, and as Messi and Ronaldo get closer to the end of their careers, this guy's the biggest name in the biggest sport in the world. Uh, so right now with, he's with Barcelona. Uh, you'll see his salary will go up. He's a Nike guy. Nike just committed a billion a, Roughly a billion dollar deal for Ronaldo and a lifetime deal. Uh, they're going to want to pay Neymar uh, to keep him in the fold as well. All right. Well, that's it for sports money. Great work, Kurt. And if you want to read the full list about Kurt's 20 highest earning athletes of all time, how much they made, how they made it, go to Forbes.com slash sports money. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, Please email us at sportsmoney at podcast1.com. That's O-N-E dot com.
Hello there, you. It's me, Jay Moore. You know me from the More Stories podcast. I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, and I talk to people that fascinate me, like Brandon Boyd from Incubus, super funny Jim Jeffries, Jay Leno, Charlie Sheen, Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, and a whole lot more. Download a few episodes of More Stories now. More Stories podcast every Monday. Podcast One app, iTunes, podcastone.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over 1 million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, they are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.